Well, good morning, church. Hey, hopefully you're feeling victorious today. I realized um, something about Michigan, and that is when I announced spring is here two weeks ago, I was sorely mistaken, and I am not even going to announce today that it's here. Uh, there is no guarantee. But I'm learning, I'm learning as we go along. We love it here. We really do. Um, and as much as we love it here, Today, this afternoon, my Syracuse, New York Orangeman is playing against the Michigan State. No, 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 no. So today, you have to love me. The Bible says so, even though I may not be cheering for your team. Hey, here's some things we can all cheer about together. Two weeks ago, I said in a family time, uh, we, were, we were at a deficit in our giving um, to our budget need. And, and we understand it's winter. You know, all of our bills are more, all of our expenses are more. And I just mentioned, hey, let's see what we can do to try to take care of this. We were $21,000 behind in our giving two weeks ago. I'm telling you, two weeks have gone by. We have cut that in half, folks. Isn't that fantastic? I'm just saying, praise the Lord. And, uh, and I'm just praying, God just, he takes care of us. He does. And it's not about our budget, it's about our mission. It's about being able to make more and better disciples. And so let's just keep praying and pray that God will take care of those things. And we're so thankful for it. I just, uh, give, me, give me about three minutes for a quick family time. I want to update you on a few things. Uh, one of which is our ministry bookstore resource facility that we're working on. We've had, uh, we developed five initiatives for this year and our first three uh, have been worked through, and we are advancing those. We just established directors for our new upcoming book and ministry resource center that we're going to be doing right here at East Bay Calvary. And we're so excited. I see Deb Morse right here. Deb and Lauren Jacobs. Would you stand just for a second? I'm not going to embarrass you much. This, this is our tag team co-director crew for our new resource ministry center that's gonna be coming that we're so excited about. And we have about 31 people that signed up that wanted to help with this. You're gonna be hearing from them in the next couple of weeks. We're already kind of envisioning what it's gonna be. We're looking at, there's not as hard a timetable on this, probably looking at a fall launch for this. But this is the brain trust of our ministry that's gonna be helping us with that. So we are excited. Thank you, gals, for being willing to lead in that area very much. You can have a seat. You're going to be seeing some adjustments in our hosting and greeting ministry in the foyer with Anna Smith. She's been working on that. She's developed a core team of folks that are going to be helping working through that. And I'm really excited to see some coming up adjustments in that hosting and greeting ministry in the very near future. And as you can see, I am a paid walking billboard for our kids' ministry that is coming April 8th. And Sarah Fischel's been working so hard. And we have so many committed and creative workers to this. And April 8th is our big launch. And this is going to be great. I can't wait. It's in this very hour, in this 1030 hour, that our kids are going to have a ministry that is their very own, that shows we are committed to making more and better kids as well in this ministry. And be praying for that if you would. 
Here's a couple other things, um, and I just want to tell you this on a personal note. We have some anniversary things coming up, and I can't believe it, but one year ago this weekend, your search team was in upstate New York visiting myself and my family. Um, we had just gotten a nor'easter. There was over three feet of snow before they came. And it's, can you believe it's one year ago now? It's just amazing. So we have a number of anniversaries that are coming up as we go along, and we're just so thankful. And I just need to tell you, and I've rehearsed this so that I don't cry. And I, that doesn't even work. They say a pastor makes a church. And I don't know that I agree with that, but I will tell you, a church can make their pastor. You folks have made such a difference in me. And my wife and I were in bed the other night and we were talking about you all behind your back. <laughs> that is so much fun, it really is. And just truth be told, you folks have made us better people, better servants, and better ministers. And we're just so thankful to be here and be able to serve with you and to feel the family and the partnership. So um, just a big thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We do love, no, no, no. Even though we know you'll all be rooting for Michigan State today, we still love you. We do. And um, we thank God for you. Hey, uh, grab your copy of the scriptures, would you? Esther in chapter 5. Esther in chapter 5. If you're wondering where that is, just my quick help that I've been telling you, and probably most of you got it all figured out. But if you start, you open up your Bible about halfway, and right smack dab in the middle, you'll probably find Proverbs or Psalms. And just take a left-hand turn, and before Proverbs is Psalms, before Psalms is Job, and right before Job is Esther. And you'll see um, we're in Esther chapter 5. If you grab your iPod, iPad, whatever may be the case, uh, Esther, E-S-T-H-E-R, Esther in chapter 5, and we're going to work through that. You know, God doesn't always give us crystal clear ideas of what's going to happen when we face trials. It would be nice, wouldn't it? He says, you know what, here comes this trial. I just want you to know what's going to be going on. Here's the best thing we would love to know. Here's how long it's going to last. Wouldn't that be nice? Here's how long it's going to be last. Here's how it's going to end and everything's going to be okay in the end. That would be really nice to have a crystal clear idea of what's coming up with our challenges. It's kind of like the golfer who approached the first tee at the course and there's this hazardous hole with a green that was all surrounded by water, and he debated, should I use my brand new golf ball? And he looked at the hole, and he decided this is way too treacherous, and he put the new ball back in his pouch, and he pulled out an old ball, and he placed it on the tee, and just then he heard a voice from the heavens say, use the new ball. And frightened, he put the old ball in, he took the new ball out, and he put it on the tee. 
And then the voice from heaven said, take a practice swing. And he stepped back away from the ball. And he took a practice swing. And he hollered out, how was that? And the voice from heaven said, use the old ball. It would be nice to have clear direction on everything that comes our way. But we all know that just doesn't happen that way. It didn't happen that way for Esther. For Esther, she had no idea what was coming up. For Esther, what she knew that could have happened, she could have been a goner. And we walked through this last week, and in fact, I'm in the same exact passage. What we're going to do this week, we're going to wring the rag. I don't know if you've ever done that with a sponge or a rag. You know, you, you, you scrunch it, and you try to get all the water out, and you know there's still more in there, and so you start twisting it. And there's a little bit more in there. That's what we're doing today in Esther chapter 5. We're going to wring this rag a little bit more. There's a few more things we can learn in the passage that we just went through last week. And if you want an update, uh, if you weren't here last week and you wanted to listen to that message, you just go on eastbaycalvary.org. All of our messages are listed right there. It's a great resource if you miss a week or you're, you're sick, whatever may be the case, or if you didn't get your coffee and you fell asleep during the message, you can go back and listen to it and be encouraged by it. But here we go, Esther chapter 5. There's a great thing about the book of Esther is not only did it reveal what she did when she went through the challenges, we get a little glimpse into what God did. And that's what this week is about. What does God do in our time of trial? What priorities does he see? How does he work? behind the scenes, and so that's what today is all about, and here we are in Esther in chapter 5. I want to take a moment, and I want us to see four lessons about God's work in our circumstances. So you got your Bible, you got your study guide that's on the back of your worship folder, flip that over, and we'll work through this thing together. Esther in chapter 5, stand with me, would you? I'm just going to read through a small section of scripture here. I want us to be able to get a feel again for what's going on. And then I'm going to give you four lessons about God's work in our circumstances. And last week I preached over to the point that I almost felt bad. Almost. But this week I'm going to let you out a minute early to make up for that. Four lessons about God's work. Esther 5, look at it with me, would you? So Esther had prayed, she had fasted, she asked people around her to fast. She was going to go to the king and present her request to him unrequested. It could have meant her death, Esther 5 verse 1. On the third day, this is after they had fasted three days, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance when he saw the queen, Queen Esther, standing in the court, he was pleased with her, and he held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached, touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Well, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, 
come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Can I just interject? She invited the king and Haman, the one that this whole problem was all about. This is a gutsy, faith-filled woman. Okay, let's keep going. Bring Haman at once, the king said, verse 5, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition, my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So have a seat. Let's do this thing. Four lessons about God's work in our circumstances. Ring the rag. There's a few more drips in this passage that we can pull out and look at it together. So there, number one on your study guide, your worksheet this morning. Here's the blank for you. The first lesson about God's work in our circumstances is God often wants us to step up. God often wants us to step up before he steps in. You ever experience that? God wants us to step up before he steps in. Now, just to rehearse for a moment, we see this in the life of Esther. She had resolved to go before the king. She asked everyone around her to fast in regards to this, which is the primary religious reference in the book of Esther. So I need to go in. I know I need to go in. Fast, would you, and let's entreat God to be in this. She was going to go in, but here's something I love. Here she was going in before she went in. Do you see this in verse 4? If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared. This is kind of cool. This is a little bit of faith. She not only was going in, she already made this stuff. She already had a sense, God was going to come to my aid. I want to be prepared to do whatever God asked for me. And so she asked them to fast. She was ready to go in, and she did. She already made the first meal. She'd stepped up. And then we would think maybe everything would then be better. You know, it actually went from bad to worse. You notice what comes up next. Look at verse 9. Haman went out that day happy. This is right after the banquet in high spirits. But then he saw Mordecai at the king's gate. He observed that Mordecai neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. He was filled with rage. But he held himself back. He went and talked to his friends. What should we do to Mordecai? I can't stand this man. Look at verse 14. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits. I don't know if you are familiar with how high a, or how long a cubit is. Here's how they did it in Bible days. A cubit, this is how they measured it, was from the tip of this finger to the base of your elbow. That was a cubit, essentially about 18 inches. So, 50 cubits, 18 inches, a foot and a half. Let's see how your math is this morning. 
50 cubits, which are a foot and a half each, would be how many feet? 75, excellent. If you look up, number one, you're going to see dots. After you look back down, at least I'm going to, because I'm looking at four blinding lights. The, the center of this ceiling is about 50 feet. Put another half to that. I want a pole 75 feet tall. Notice what he wanted to do. And there's those dots. And ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. That's what he wanted to do. 75 feet in the air. Folks, you don't need a pole 75 feet in the air to impale somebody. This guy wanted to make a statement. And this was going from bad to worse. God had not yet stepped in. She stepped up. She showed up. She made the banquet. She had a plan. I'm going to do another banquet. And in the meantime, it's getting really bad. But we find this truth that God often wants us to step up before he steps in. Esther's not the only one in the Bible. Let me rehearse a few others in the Bible. God asked him, I want you to step up before I step in. Let me tell you a few. Maybe you're familiar with some of these. He wanted Naaman to dip in the Jordan. Naaman had leprosy. I want you to dip in the Jordan seven times. And he wasn't cleared from his leprosy from the first six. Seventh time down, bam, he was. He wanted the Israelites to walk around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh. And they had to do all of that before the walls came down. He wanted the priests of Israel to step into the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant before the waters parted. Joseph had to go to the pit, to the prison, for 23 years before he finally found out what his dream was all about and God worked it out. The disciples passed out food to 5,000 people before they even noticed this miracle that took place. Peter had to step out of the boat and put his first foot on the surface of the water before it could begin to hold him up. And so time after time after time, we've seen through the Bible, God often wants us to step up before he steps in. Now, it comes in our day and age, and I fall and pray to this too, that often we want God to straighten things out before we take the step. God, please make it feasible and convenient for my obedience. Here's some I've heard and I've done. Maybe they resonate with you. God, would you increase my income before I cut back my hours at work to spend time with family? Here's another one. And I've heard people say this in counseling, God, give me love for my mate before I work on my marriage. I oftentimes tell people this, why we make some promises, because you don't always feel like it. God, take away my dependency or my addiction. Just take it away. And you know what? Sometimes he does, and sometimes we got to work real hard. 
God, make me want to serve, and then I'll do it. Sometimes he wants us to step out and serve, and then we end up loving it. God, give me a burden to witness, and then I'll share the gospel. Over and over, I've been in there, you've been in there, we've Believers have asked God, smooth the road, take out the obstructions, make it feasible, make it desirable, make it convenient, and then I'll obey God's commands. And friend, that, that just isn't faith. Here's a quote from Daniel Schaefer. He writes about stepping up. Listen to this. He says, it seems so unreasonable, but in the end, it's the very process God uses, here's two big words, to mature and strengthen us. And often to bring greater blessing into our lives than ever before. And here's the, here's the phrase you have to remember. You don't, this is important, you don't have to feel ready to be obedient. Circumstances don't have to seem favorable. Temptation doesn't have to be removed in order to do what God is calling you and then he finishes, in the drama of our lives, God occasionally asks us to play some difficult parts. He simply asks us to trust him that the part he has picked for us is one he knows we can play. And that's where Esther was. That's exactly where she was. Before God did anything, and wow, he did a whole lot, she stepped up. She followed a plan that showed her obedience to her God God came through, but he came through after. So I've got a phrase for you. This is on your sheet. I got a phrase for you. It's what we do before God acts that proves our faith. It's what we do before God acts that proves our faith. And let me ask you, are there any faith issues you are dealing with today? Are there any faith issues you're dealing with today? And I just encourage you, don't wait for a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It is an action that demonstrates obedience to God and trust in his word. Maybe you're saying my marriage stinks and I don't feel like working on it. I'm not asking you to feel like it. I'm asking you to do what you know God wants you to do. I've said the wedding vows I'm here to tell you, they don't say if you feel like it in there. At least mine did. Maybe your faith is in giving. You say, if I only had more money, then I would give to God's work or to people in need. Maybe God wants us to give from what he's already given us before giving us more to do with what he wants. Maybe it's witnessing, maybe it's serving Come up with a plan to do these things that God commands us to do. Start with it. Because God wants you to step out before he steps in. Here's that phrase. It's what we do before God acts that proves our faith. And if I'm going to give you one minute early, we got to get moving. Here's number two. God lives outside of time yet is never off schedule. Wow. God lives outside of time yet is never off schedule. As we've already mentioned, Esther went to the king. She invited the king and Haman to come to a banquet. She'd already prepared the banquet. And you're thinking, bam, it's just going to end. Everything's going to be good. And you know what? It wasn't getting any better. Mordecai or Haman steps in, 
let's build these gallows. I want this impaling rod 75 feet tall. Haman was going to come into the king that morning. He was going to ask request to impale Mordecai on it. Now let's just flip the page in chapter six. Chapter six, that night we talked about last week, the king couldn't sleep. He ordered, read the book of the Chronicles of my reign. They found out that Mordecai had actually saved the king's life and was never repaid. And here, the king is wondering what honor and recognition has Mordecai received. The king asked, nothing's been done. Now notice the timing perfect. Look at verse four there in chapter six. The king said, wait, who, who's in the court? Someone just walked in. It was Haman. You know why Haman was there? He wanted to ask permission to impale Mordecai. Just seconds before, seconds the king learned about Mordecai saving him and said, what's been done for him? Nothing. So Haman walks in. Right then at the last second, and the king says to Haman, what should be done for the person in which the king delights? This is, this is to me, one of the best parts of the story. I love this. And Haman's thinking it's him. Of course, Haman's filled with pride that we learned a few weeks ago. Filled with pride. And he's thinking, this has got to be me. The king loves me. And he comes up with his plan. You know, let's put the royal robes on him. Let's put the rings on him. Let's put him on a robe. Let's have someone in front saying, this is the man in whom the king delights, thinking it's going to be him. And this is just the best part. The king says, great, you are going to do that for Mordecai. Isn't that awesome? Could you imagine what Haman was like pulling the horse with Mordecai on it, he's the one that has to say, this is the one. I don't think his heart was into it that day. I think it was, oh, this is the one whom the king delights. You know, I'm thinking, oh, get this day done with. Well, when we find out what happens, I don't think he really wanted the day to get done with. But anyways, this is the one in whom the king delights. This must have been drudgery. This must have been horrible. And then he goes, he finishes with that. This is just the best. I love it. Not only was his heart not into it, um, he called in sick after that. He went home. He was feeling terrible. Mordecai was feeling great. If he knows verse 12 in chapter 6, afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. He went back to work, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. He called in sick. He said, I've just had enough of this. This is horrible. This is horrible. You realize it was seconds, folks. Seconds. From when the king learned that Mordecai had not been repaid for his good deed. It was seconds to when Haman was there. And we look at it and say, wow, that was a close call. Whew. Man. But we learned this in our first week. God never has a crisis, only a purpose. Only a purpose. We've got a clock on our wall. We got it for our wedding. It's a small, grandfatherish looking clock. And here's what my in laws had 
printed on a plaque inside of that clock says this, God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. And and I got thinking about that clock this week as we were thinking about God's timing. Sometimes it looks like it's a close call. The last second, God just barely pulls it out. I got thinking about God's timing. You know, things don't always go with our timing. Here's some beauties I got thinking for our lives about God's timing is always perfect. So after we get married, eight weeks later, we find out we were expecting a baby. Our our plan was not the eight-week plan. And then another timing issue for us, we moved to New York in our first year of marriage, and boy, that was that was a real, that was a tough move. Within a year before our second anniversary, my wife's dad passed at the age of 56, unexpected. And then we outgrew our home. I think you know why. We found land and had to build a new home. Oh, then we outgrew that home. Yeah, it's not funny. We moved to a farmhouse. And then we felt God's tug to be open to a new ministry after 20 years. And, you know, a lot of these timing issues, they just, they pushed us and pushed us. And we're like, why, why now? Why at this moment? And God lives outside of time. Time doesn't affect him. But the interesting thing is, even though he lives outside of it, he's always right on time with everything that he does. We may not like the choice of his timing. You know, one complaint I've never heard from a believer, one complaint I've never heard, boy, God answered that prayer way too fast. Never heard that. Well, that was a little quick. (laughs) You know, if there's a complaint we have, why this long? True? Why is this taking so long? I've never heard someone say, boy, that hospital stay was fast. Boy, our marriage problems went away quickly. That hurt didn't last long. Undeniably, when we make judgments about God's timing, we always think it's too late. It's too long. Just like with Mary and Martha in the Bible, they had a brother, Lazarus, who died. And Jesus was waiting before he went there. And here's what happened. He showed up. He had died three days earlier, Lazarus did. And Jesus shows up and Mary Martha said, you waited too long. He's dead. If you came three days ago, it would have been okay. But you came now and it's too late. They thought it was too late. Here's a phrase I thought of in my mind when I thought of God's timing. We think about the timing. God thinks about the product. I'll give you an illustration. Um, Some falls, some autumns, we go and we'll grab a pumpkin and we'll open it up and we'll dig out all the guts that are in there. And we dig through and we grab all the seeds and then we spread them out on a cookie sheet and we'll put some salt on it. We stick them in the oven to be able to roast these pumpkin seeds. And then we nibble on them chew on them and 
Um, and so I remember the very first time we ever tried this a number of years ago, we did that. We dug the guts out, got the seeds, put them down, put the salt, stuck them in the oven, 350. And after about 10 minutes, we pulled them out and they were still a little chewy. And we put them back in and we pulled them out about five minutes later and they were still a little bit soft. They weren't really hard the way that we wanted them. We put them back in. And after a while, finally, they were exactly what we had wanted in being toasted and the way that they taste. And they were all set and we pulled them out and the whole crew gobbled them up with delight. And that's what I end up thinking about with our circumstances. We think about the time. It's been 15 minutes. These things should be ready. God thinks about the product. No, let's put it back in a little bit longer. Not quite ready. Here's a phrase I want to give you. I hope sticks with you. And here's, here's what it is. I think you got a blank on it. The clock will never run out on God's plan. Never. The clock will never run out on God's plan. God has a purpose, not a crisis. God does not bite his fingernails. He is not terribly concerned about timing because he is always in control. And when we reach dramatic points of God, they are ultimately determined points by God Points that say, you know what, God's still at work. He is steady. He is deliberate. He may be quiet. We might think this is a little late, but God is always on time. Here's number three. God lowers the proud and lifts the humble. God lowers the proud and lifts the humble. You ever have humble pie? Doesn't it taste horrible? Don't we hate pride in others? There's a saying, pride is the one disease that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. We hate to see it in others. It sticks out so much. It's tough when it's in ourselves, And when we have humble pie, ugh. There's a story, someone in the church sent me an email this week, and I've just got to tell you, when they ate humble pie, I can't tell you who the person is, but if you come see me in my office and you want to pray for them, maybe I can give you their name then. Here's their email, this is great. Sometime last year, my mom bought brand new windows for her house. This is the house where I grew up. Just days after the installation, I was over there, and I noticed the sound of cars going by. It was louder than what I remembered. And when the cold wind blew strong, I could see the vertical blinds in front of the window moving. He said, I was so mad. He says, I happened to have to do some business at the window business the next day, and when I was there, I was... It's polite, but in my mind, I was thinking, you took advantage of an old woman. Maybe you forgot to insulate. Maybe you screwed something up, and you just went in there, and you did it, and you got out, and here, there's, there's some wind blowing through, and he says, I was so upset. The lady at the front counter apologized. She took down my information. She promised to send a manager out to inspect the work right away. He said, I heard this later from my mom. The manager got to the house, knocked on the door, came in. He went over to the vertical blinds. He opened them. He shut the window and locked it. And that was it. 
And then the man says, every time I walk into that business, I can't even look the woman in the front desk in the eye. Haman was just about to be served a huge piece of humble pie. I just want to give you two thoughts about this. James says it better than I. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. Here's your phrase at the bottom. Lifting you up is God's job, not ours. We need to get ourselves out of the self-promotion business. Trusting God is saying, I'm going to take the road of humility. I don't need to puff me up. I don't need to blow me up. I don't need to say, boy, look what I've done. I don't need to embellish. You know what? God just wants us to be like Jesus. Jesus is the best. It wouldn't be pride for him to say, I'm the greatest. There's no one greater. That would not be pride. But you know, when he came to earth, he never did that. And the Bible says he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. But then here's the next phrase. Therefore, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the lesson for us is be humble. Let God lift you up. That was Mordecai. And God lifted him up. And the one who was proud was Haman. And he was lowered. Well, he got raised up the next, well, we'll talk about that when we get together next time. And it shows James 4, 6 to be very true. God opposes the proud. But he shows favor to the humble. And what a verse. Would you rather be the one God opposes or would you rather be the one that he takes care of with favor? And that is determined by our level of pride or humility. God has a long history of situations where he's brought down the proud, lifted the humble. The rich man and Lazarus in the Bible, the Pharisee and the tax collector, Nebuchadnezzar, the king turned goat. Lifting up is God's job, not ours. I'm not going to get you out a minute early. Next time I preach, I promise. Here's number four. Futility can be defined as being God's opposition. I just want to leave you with this. This is fantastic. Look at chapter six, right toward the end. Mordecai goes home. He's all dejected. This was horrible. I had to say, I'm sorry, Haman goes home, was dejected. He said, this is horrible. I had to say Mordecai is the man the king delights in. It was terrible. And he comes home and he talks to his wife and his advisors. Verse the end of verse 13 says, his advisors and his wife Zeref said to him, listen to this, this is phenomenal. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you can't stand against him. You're going to come to ruin. And then while they're still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrive and said, hey man, let's go to the banquet. And you know what happens after the banquet? Kabam. But I loved it. Here's unbelievers. 
Here's his Persian wife and his Persian advisors who don't give a rip about the Jews or about their God. And the unbelievers say to Haman, you're toast. And the reason why is because you're up against a man of Jewish origin and you know it's related to their faith. You're going down. You're going down in a hurry. Here, unbelievers even knew if you go up against the, the God of the Jews, call it quits. And futility, vanity, emptiness, losing can be defined as being God's opposition. And it was going to go from bad to worse in a hurry for Haman, all because he was on the wrong side. Here's how we're going to finish this up. I want us to think about just trusting. There's a reality that we do our part. We do our part and we trust God to do his part. Do our best. Put it out there and realize, folks, he never, ever, ever fails. Amen? There's a word that we use for God, and it's been used throughout Scripture, and it is, he is faithful. He's faithful. He's reliable. We do our part. We step out in obedience. We respond with humility. Don't take God's part. He's got that all cared for. The message from God don't worry about me. Just worry about yourself. I'll be there. I'll take care of it. I want to finish up with this story and worship team, just come on up for a second. We're going to sing a song that talks about the faithfulness of God. Tim Hansel wrote in his book, I, I just love this. He said, one day, while my son Zach and I were out in the country climbing around on some cliffs, I heard a voice above me. So here he is walking around and, and he hears up above. He says, hey, dad, catch me, he hears. And he turns around and sees Zach had already jumped off a rock before he yelled, catch me. And he said it became an instant circus act the second he turned around, there he was, and, and he landed on him. They both fell on the ground, and they wobbled around all over the place. And he said, when I, when I finally got my breath back into me, I said, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? Here's what Zach said. Sure. You're my dad, and I knew you'd catch me. And that's what it is for us, folks. He's our father. He won't drop you. We just need to have trust. Do our part, yeah. Let him do his part, and he will. Just stand with me for a moment. I want to pray over you. Because I know there are some here 
Trusting isn't easy. Some of us have some big steps to take. Whether it's in our marriage, in our employment, with our finances or our giving or our service. Whether it's with our attitudes, whether it's with an addiction. Trust him. Take the lead. Do what you know he wants you to do. He'll do his part. He will. Can I pray for you? Father God, in the midst of us as friends and your family, I pray, God, that you would have us to be people whose faith increases in you. And when we're in slippery areas, in tough situations, in faith and obedience moments that cause us to step out and step up. Father, reduce our fears. Help us to have courage to be obedient knowing you never, ever, ever will fail. May we trust and obey. May we be people that show our faith. God, may we be a church family that acts in faith, in stepping out, believing you'll take care of us. And all of East Bay Calvary said, amen. He's faithful, amen? He sure is. Maybe your next faith step is inviting someone for Easter. That may scare you big time. We have some invite cards in the back, not only for Easter and for the little uh, coffee and donut thing we have beforehand. We have a separate invite card for our kids' Easter experience that morning. We have something special. You'll see it. And then also... Um, for this, it starts on the 8th. There's some kids you know that need to be here. Some people you know need to be here for Easter. Let's celebrate this thing. Let's celebrate Jesus and what he's done for us. Grab those invite cards on your way out. Make sure you get them. Make sure you use them and, and reach people. So that way we can make more and better disciples here. I want to leave you with this verse. The psalmist cried out from his trial when he felt forsaken and all around him were against him. And here's what he said, my flesh and my heart may fail. And you've been there. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's our portion. He's all we need. Trust him. Cling to him. He'll be faithful. God bless your week as you step out in faith. See you in the back. Grab those cards. Let's get people here. God bless you.